You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop, the show that's a little bit of everything with a K-Pop twist. Visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com for more information about the show. That's 17-C-A-R-A-T-K-P-O-P.weebly.com. Enjoy the show! Hello everybody and welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Today on the show I'm going to be talking about why I know and insist that KCON will be back in its physical form in 2021, 2022, whenever it's safe. Why K-pop events will go back to being in person and why the digital future isn't everything. And also just in general though I do want to talk more about the digital concert trend and the latest updates in the sagas of promoting music via apps like TikTok. There's a lot of new legal drama with that. Video game concerts or other new forms. New rooms being used for digital production on movies and concerts. Just there are so many developments in the world of virtual entertainment that I want to share. So we are going to talk about all of that today. We're also going to talk about just in general a lot of headlines in the world of K-pop to get to. We're going to talk about Stray Kids upcoming comeback and what I hope people focus on during it. We're going to talk about SM Entertainment's new university of sorts and a lot more to cover. And quick PSA, I just dropped an episode a day or two ago called Taemin period literally Taemin with a period. Uh, that one I was very excited about to finally really talk about the storyline of Taemin's music video world because he's my all-time favorite solo artist. Get Make sure you find a favorite artist whose music you get as psyched for as I do about Taemin releases. So very much try to keep my fangirling in check, but it was definitely present while I talked about the storyline as I see it. So if you're interested in hearing more about the SM Entertainment universe and Taemin's music video character playing a role in it, all of that I break down in the episode called Taemin, period. Let's get to the latest headlines in the world of K-pop. First of all, SM Entertainment has teamed up with an educational technology company to create a new canvas of sorts in South Korea called SM Institute. So this sounds like the cross between a business school and a performing arts academy of sorts. It will teach classes in everything from modeling to fashion to marketing and in general being an influencer, a modern day celebrity, all of that stuff. And so it really sounds like it'll be a beneficial, beneficial curriculum for both managers and people who want to work behind the scenes in the entertainment world and people who would want to be on the front stage being idols themselves. So they will start out with online only classes but officially classes possibly in person will start March of 2021 and they do plan to have an international branch of the school, an international physical location in the future too. They are hoping to create the next generation of managers who have the creativity of SM Entertainment Management and the skills of this educational technology development company. So exciting to see what magic will come from this partnership and the variety of course content just shows that it's going to be quite an overall all-encompassing curriculum for people who are interested in the entertainment industry. So I will keep you posted if there's more news about this, this new school of sorts. Other big positive news, Blackpink's documentary officially has a release date October 14th on Netflix. You can watch Light Up the Sky, see all sorts of memories relived from the past four years we've had of Blackpink content, especially their iconic history-making Coachella performance. 
other viewing news to mark your calendars for. Oh My Girls Hyojun and Sunmi are going to co-host a new web series. It was originally a TV series called Get It Beauty, but is changing formats and will be a web series called Studio Get It Beauty, which again will be out September 26th. And it's essentially a beauty YouTube series of sorts, but this will not just be any other beauty series you watch online because, I mean, Sunmi's eye makeup, please, this is going to be so next level. The target audience is technically Millennials and Gen Z with this show, but you can be as old as you want and still rock eye makeup as much, as colorfully and as brightly as you want, so it's for everyone. This next story is both good and bad. So, So Yun from Fromis9, she will be sitting out their new comeback promotions due to a leg injury that she got during promotional rehearsals for this comeback. So only eight of them will be doing the promo rounds for this new comeback. But in better news, all of the individual members now get to have Instagram accounts and they are having a comeback. And that in itself, I think, should be celebrated because honestly, it had been taking so long, I had started to wonder if the group had just quietly disbanded. So at least that's not the case. Now here's some better news. BTS continues to bring in so much money to South Korea's economy. According to the Ministry of Culture, Sports, and Tourism, just the new single Dynamite alone is predicted to produce a ripple effect in South Korea's economy to the tune of about $1.43 billion. And so that is both surprising and not surprising. It's a huge amount, but wow, this the ripple effects of BTS cannot be underestimated from... From the shoes they wear in a music video, to the setting, to the actual sales of the song itself. I mean, their economic impact does have so many ripple effects always. So, But $1.43 billion, this is this is new heights. And in somewhat related news, South Korea recently entered the Global Innovation Index for the first time since 2007. So they are 10th place in the entire world and have finally re-entered the Global Innovation Index since for, for the first time since 2007. I just repeated that because I wanted to sink in um, how big that is and just how even just BTS alone has really helped South Korea's economy. We're going to talk more about their increased global influence later on in the show, but really, really exciting for everyone affiliated with BTS and South Korean entertainment. I'm so glad they're getting that recognition Switching gears with this story, the latest update in the Burning Sun scandal, which I are, I've already talked about on the show at length and won't do again here, um, the latest is that Yang Hyun-suk from YG Entertainment has admitted to the overseas gambling charges, so there are different trials for different charges he's facing, but lately it's been about the overseas gambling, which he did admit to, and his next court hearing is set for October 28th, so that is the latest in that continuously always unraveling saga. And so the main story that you'd probably be confused if I didn't mention is one that I won't spend too much time on because it's already been dissected and discussed at length online. You already know about it. It's not like an, an, a headline that might have gotten lost in the shuffle that I want to bring attention to. And I don't really like to add to any press, even if it's negative press towards people I don't think deserve it. And I don't want to distract from comebacks from those who really deserve it, and 
I, I just don't feel like going into detail about this. I also just don't want to trigger any viewers. And I just, I'm not going to speak much about it. But I will just say that I'm aware of all this drama online lately with Woojin, who previously was in the band Stray Kids. But as Felix sent a, a, a very subtle um, hidden message to us in his Instagram captions about, as he's trying to send us the message about... He wants us to please think about straight, the eight members of Stray Kids. So please, let's just... I'm really, 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 really praying that none of the... like Okay, so anyone who gets to interview and talk to Stray Kids about this new comeback album, please do not ask them a question about Woojin and this latest drama and resurfaced uh, conversation about him leaving the group and how they move even just a reference not even to Woojin but please I want all reporters to not ask them a question about what it was like to go from nine to eight members we're not going to talk about it please I don't want to do that to them they clearly want to move on from this and they that is what I'll say about that so let's please hype up and enjoy this new Stray Kids album I'm sure it's great high quality music as always from them and that's what they want to focus on that's what I want to focus on it's it's just that we've addressed the issue. It's not like we're sweeping it under the rug. But now that's all we can do. And that I just want to, I just don't really don't want negative press to draw attention away from all the hard work Stray Kids always puts into creating their own music. They're very hands on with it. I'm very impressed by that. And I want to continue to show my appreciation for them. And I just really, I respect them so much. So I really hope they get positive reviews that don't touch on drama at all and just let them talk about their work and so here's something I need to get in my soapbox about for one more second so I really the it's very odd to me sometimes the all press is good press argument and I know that's really not um something that translates in other media as much as it does in the USA but still it's there it's in some capacity everywhere and that all press is good press view of things is just very odd to me because personally like I don't get why we we decide that certain uh drama should be uh is more interesting to hear about than the actual music if that makes sense because it is. It does seem to be get more people's attention to have a headline about you know, so and so opens up about band members' departure as opposed to so and so opens up about their music creation process. But that's always been odd to me because I think the latter is more interesting than the former, and so maybe if you are really into tabloid type gossip or not even that, but just you know, the the more intense uh, tension fueling uh topics in an interview um you know there's then uh you can watch your reality tv or whatever for that it's just like for musicians specifically i really frankly would prefer to just hear about their work because i respect it so much and i just love hearing about the behind the scenes that went into crafting songs and an album it's just such an interesting process to me and if you don't think it's interesting Really step back and think about how much music might impact your life because it's the soundtrack to your good days, your bad days. It holds so many memories. So don't you want to hear about how your memories were created in part from them? 
You know, don't you want to hear the info about the deeper meaning they thought of or the ways they want you to interpret it as it applies to your own life soundtrack? I mean, I would rather hear that conversation than any uncomfortable, squeamish questions about drama that doesn't even directly relate to the people you're talking to. Just something to think about. So this isn't really towards anyone. Don't think I'm like having a veiled uh, diss at anyone. I've just been thinking lately and worrying about the upcoming Stray Kids comeback and how it will be reacted to by the press. And I really hope they leave, uh, they leave the drama out of it because I want to know more about the making of the album. I'm sure it's great and they worked hard on it and I want to keep the focus there. So, rant over. Let's get to some better news. So there are a lot of 17 updates lately. A lot. So the new Japanese EP is here. 24 Hours is the new Japanese single. It's really, really great. Gives me happy ending vibes. And that is a great compliment. I'm just, I'm loving it as always. And congrats to 17 who surpassed 450,000 pre-orders on this release. Also, Soongwan has a new OST out, so make sure you check that out. So much great content from them lately. And other, of course, online posts. We've just, we've really been getting 17 all the time lately, and I love it. And congrats to 17 for winning first place in Malaysia's Top 10 Awards the other day. This is just a side note for my fellow J-pop stands. So Reel's video for The Sixth Sense now has 6 million views, which is really exciting. She looks great in the video. Very cool outfit. Very cool um, skyscraper-esque setting. It's very awesome. In other news, but now switching back to K-pop, ITZY's wannabe video now has 200 million views. CLC's Helicopter single has sold over three times the amount their last comeback album sold in the same amount of time in its first week, which is huge. Other big album sale news, AT's officially has surpassed one million album copies sold on the gown charts. Super M has reached 200,000 V-Live subscribers. BTS topped the Billboard Hot 100 again for the second week in a row, and the results are in. And according to Twitter, officially, the very first uh, week that BTS won and reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 generated 46 million tweets about it in just three days. 46 million tweets about it in just three days. Also, Dynamite by BTS just became the first song to reach 180,000 downloads since Closer by Halsey and the Chainsmokers in 2016. So it's been four years since a song had 180,000 downloads and Dynamite just beat Closer, by, which is by Halsey, which I find really weird and ironic. <laughs> anyway, other big news. So the digital girl band that includes Soyeon and Mayeon from G-Idol, as well as B. Miller and Wolf Tyla, at least in this round of this virtual animated girl group that had that League of Legends collab last year with pop stars, and this year they had this on the baddest. Um, they, I didn't explain the concept well at all, but you know what I mean. So this group's new song, The Baddest, reached number one on the world digital singles chart, which is really exciting. Side note, Wolf Tyla, who is featured on this G-Idol song, um, she has this new collab out with Jay Park that is really good. It's called Butterflies, and it's just so good. Wolf Tyla, I would definitely look more into. She's got some great music. All right, now my next topic today is about all sorts of ways that the coronavirus continues to affect the music industry, specifically the K-pop music industry in South Korea at large. So, first of all, SBS 
hosts one of the main three music shows called The Show that K-pop artists regularly go on for these weekly performances. And the latest taping of the show was canceled due to a positive coronavirus case for someone in the SBS building. Um, Also, SBS has canceled for the foreseeable future filmings of Running Man and all the butlers and probably other shows to follow. Also, a Seoul City bus driver tested positive for COVID-19, which caused a temporary halt to all Seoul City bus operations. So this kind of really, really ripple effects of ramifications, really, if more people keep testing positive. But what started to seem like a very concerning uptick in cases again in South Korea has started to go back down again, which is great to see. Also, uh, people are helping out, you know. IU continues to donate a ton of money and supplies to a cause like she just does every day. And so her latest donation was cooling vests to healthcare workers, 100 million wands worth of them for the Korean Nurses Association. So thank you, IU, for all you do. And also news update about related to this virus, BTS's latest movie premiere in South Korean movie theaters has been indefinitely postponed, but only for Korea, it looks like. But then again, like when I was trying to find a show around Chicago, it sound it looked like I would have to check back later. So I don't know if that just means they scrubbed the dates from the site because they because there are all the dates even internationally of this screening will uh, be in, indefinitely postponed. Because of the pandemic, I don't know when this movie's coming out and where in the world it comes out first. I would assume they would wait, and if it's not coming out in South Korea yet, they won't put it out elsewhere yet. Um, Just because it just feels like a recipe for copyright issues and people recording and posting what they shouldn't in advance or something like that. I just feel like they would try to avoid that. And also, I don't want to start a feud between, you know, K-netizens and international netizens and... I just think that it would probably be best if we all watched it together when we all can, but um, that seems like the BTS spirit, so I'm assuming it will be postponed everywhere in the world, but that's pretty unclear as of recording time, so anyway, but people continue to wonder how much longer uh, we can really, or how much damage it would cause if we went back to just like actual in-person events in crowds, and one uh, group of scientists that are trying to explore this question further is at a university in Germany. So they had 1,400 subjects volunteer for this study, basically, where they're basically trying to study how wide a ripple effect of a virus outbreak at a concert could be. So the actual subjects of the study did go to an in-person concert for the sake of this research. And their goals, they have a couple goals, these researchers with this study. They want to see if they can create a mathematical risk calculation formula that can be then used and applied to a bunch of different situations to show if you follow this math equation, here's what it'll tell you about the risk, uh, the odds of this risk happening, the odds of that risk happening, so that people can find ways to quantify the uh, ramifications of an indoor concert or similar event. They also hope to just overall observe and understand crowd behavior and how it's changed now, especially if you think about how weird and, like, against natural instincts it is for humans to self-isolate for so many months, um, to just see the social effects of that when they're all thrown together again um, is an interesting thing to study. Not sure it's ethical to study yet, but that's what they did. 
they also want to test different levels of safety measures. So uh, they're looking, they basically had people go to this concert and they're going to basically track the ripple effects in order to see if there's a formula they can create to understand the risk assessment level, what crowd behavior was like, they want to observe how the after effects of that play out as well, and to test different types of safety measures they put in place and which degree was too much, which degree was not enough, etc. It's quite a gamble they're taking here. They had some unique uh, photo ops through this event as well, where the participants in the study had these sensors that were attached to their shoes, so they had like walking sensors, they had this glow-in-the-dark disinfectant. It was quite a scene to see. So uh, to be announced, to be determined what the effects of that experiment are, but others are preferring to just play it safe and turning to the digital concert format more and more. Wanho has his first online concert September 26th, 11 p.m. Eastern Time. The boys have an online concert set for September 19th. Also, big update from Studio PAV. Studio PAV had four big tours that were scheduled for 2020 and then pushed back to 2021 dates, officially rescheduled tour dates and everything. But they've decided all of those dates, due to the super unpredictable future and the unpredictable nature of the virus overall, those are just done. The shows are just canceled. They're not pushed back to 2021. They're all just canceled. So Ravi's tour, 7 O'Clock's tour, Vanner and VAV all have canceled their tours with Studio PAV. But Studio PAV recently rolled out what is sounding like it's going to become a very much more regular occurrence with these online shows. And lately, I don't know if it'll always be this way, but it's been basically a rookie showcase show. So you get to see some very, very new under-the-radar K-pop groups perform their debut songs. And that it's just a $15 ticket, or at least it was last time, and probably will continue to be. So... That will continue to happen. It'll be groups like, some actually have already kind of gotten into like Blockchain and Elris, but uh, more and more groups that I've never even heard of and I felt like I knew all the K-pop groups. So uh, very interesting new opportunity for rookies who otherwise don't have those promotional opportunities that they really need the most. One of the Studio PV's latest events is also this VAV online concert event. So... This one will take place October 11th of this year, and more information can be found on Studio PAV's website, so I won't break down too much more information about it, but there are different tiers of opportunities you can get for a VIP experience with VAV for this event. So you can get, you can pay $10 and just get the video on demand of the show later, at a later date, after the show, or you could pay $39 for live stream access that comes with an autographed album and poster. You could also pay $79 if you want the live call, or $99 for the live fan sign. Honestly, I would get the live call because it sounds like the main difference between the live call and the fan sign is just that the live call is a one-on-one -on -one video chat with your fave, and the live fan sign is also a one-on-one -on -one video chat with your favorite member of VAV, but they just, like, sign a personal message to you on your album while you're talking, whereas in the live call, they're not um, signing your album, and they don't have a personalized message for it, so you'll still get a signed album in the mail, but they won't sign it in real time for you. Honestly, I would almost prefer that. So I would get the live call, and it's also 20 bucks cheaper. So that's just my recommendation. But back to the news about KCON in the fall. 
So this has been extended to a 10-day event. I also really w hope that Eric Nam is the MC again because he seems to make the guests so comfortable and he's just so conversational and good at interviewing. So really hoping Eric Nam is invited to MC Fall KCON just like he did Summer's KCON. So mark your calendars. This one will be October 16th through the 25th, so a longer one this time. Uh, one last update about the K-pop online concerts these days. Super Junior's KRY subunit is the latest to run a show through the Beyond Live SM Entertainment series, which had led to 1.35 billion likes, essentially, on VLive, and what became the number one trending Twitter topic in Malaysia, Singapore, the Philippines, and Thailand. So definitely a successful outcome for them. So Beyond Live shows will continue, but in addition to that, the Korean government is investing heavily, heavily, heavily in online K-pop concerts in the future. They, they are planning what the Korean government officially is calling the Online Immersive K-pop Content Production Project, or the OIKCPP. If I can think of a funny acronym that will go along with that, I will let you know. But anyway, so that is what they're calling it. And basically, it's a long way of saying that they are going to invest in these online concerts. So, like It sounds like pretty much to go through 2021, at least. Um, they're planning around 30-ish shows, at least, to be carried out through an actual stage built and where things are filmed just for these online shows. And again, like I've said before, South Korea has always been ahead of the trends with technology use, so very excited to see the live streams they pull together with next-level technology, like with the Beyond Live shows. And, you know, this comes at a great time because this the latest report I was looking at about South Korean social media use shows that lately the average amount of time South Koreans are spending on Twitter is about 594 minutes a month and about 441 minutes a month on Instagram. So lots and lots and lots of social media use. And overall, South Korean social media use has risen by 15.2% 15, 15 compared to the same time last year. So obviously the lockdowns are having a huge effect on how much people are online. And so that will that definitely probably added fuel to the desire for more time dedicated to this online concert project of sorts. And so... They're going to spend around 29 billion won on this effort. So the government's basically invested 25 million United States dollars worth on this new experience, building a whole theater for it and everything. And so to be announced what other news can come of this, but just know that, you know, the virtual concert space is really continues to be dominated by South Korean entertainment and marketing strategies, and they continue to just thrive in those worlds. But there are others who are trying it out in the USA as well. Fortnite, for example, is trying that out more. We've talked a lot before already about how Travis Scott's in-game show went, and more will continue, but at a new level. So Fortnite actually has built a physical studio to film these in-show in concerts at. It's full of LED walls, high-tech gadgets, and different types of cameras and stuff. So very, very high-tech environment to film these in-game shows. And so they're going to have more regular in-game concerts. Also, Lucasfilm owns this subsidiary type thing called Industrial Light and Magic Production Services. And Industrial Light and Magic is basically a fancy 
descriptor for this virtual production assistant company. It does the digital enhancements for productions, and it's going to aid in the virtual production the remote work production, really, of the next Thor movie. So expect some interesting new um, CGI slash virtual world development um, technology on display tested out in the new Thor movie. They're going to use um, basically a replica of their location that they film scenes of the Mandalorian on. So it's similar to that, the LED-filled setup, but it's a second location. So they may even have more than two locations in the future, we'll see, but they're definitely investing more in finding very unique, clever ways to to film content digitally, remotely, etc. Also, the NIVA, National Independent Venue Association, has teamed up with YouTube Music, so they're going to help try to help out indie music venues as much as they can financially through this partnership. And so all that we hear about this partnership now is, quote, uh, they will work on unique programming that will help bring live performances back into music venues safely, unquote. So that's all the information we have about that partnership between this, these independent venues and YouTube music. Um, but my guess is that what they're hinting at is a new trend of actually... Well, see, they make it sound like they're actually trying to find a way to have just socially distanced in-person concerts with fans. But my guess is that first they'll test the waters and do more of um, artists singing to an empty, in an empty venue. So still going to the venue, still paying the venue some money to set up and perform there. But then fans would watch from some virtual, some virtual way of watching or digital live stream viewing, but like with a person actually in a venue. I have a feeling that's where they're going to try out first, but we will see. Maybe maybe it'll be something else. So, in other ways of promoting music, aside from these concert tours that especially uh, more under-the-radar artists really rely on for their income, they've found a home really to uh, make money off of apps like TikTok, where their songs can get huge increases in streams and become super familiar to a broad audience. But that new strategy is going to uh, go away for more independent artists. So not only are they crushed by the lack of concerts they can do this year, but a lot of independent artists cannot even promote their work as a world as um, easily through apps um, around the world if this happens. So if you recall, TikTok was banned in the USA for security concerns that um, we can debate another time about how founded or unfounded those were. Um, I I fall on the side of this is terrible and it was not founded, especially compared to the amount of data Facebook collects from us, but I digress. So September 15th, um, TikTok will no longer be allowed in the U.S. unless there's a deal struck before then. But it's gotten pretty messy lately since we last talked about this story, so I don't think a deal will go through by then. Walmart wants to get in on it. Microsoft wants to get in on it. They might both get in on it, um, but there's going to be there needs to be a lot of negotiation. I feel like they would if they had, they had more time, but you know they're working on. Walmart wants to get in on it. If you were curious, because they want to expand their uh, third party advertising ability. Microsoft wants to get in on it because it's never been known as a music site. Its music service attempts have always flopped, so they want to rebrand. So even if they do acquire TikTok, I don't know if they'll, either of them will succeed in that those efforts. Anyway, 
But the future is still kind of up in the air about TikTok, especially because of two other story developments. One is that Kevin Mayer, he um, became the chief executive there just three months ago. He already resigned. He released this memo basically saying, quote, The political environment has sharply changed. I've done significant reflection on what the corporate structural changes will require and what it means for the global role I signed up for. So he basically is citing the tense political environment at TikTok these days for why he's resigning after just three months. So pretty much uh, that's a nice way of him saying, in my, in my opinion, that's a nice way of saying um, I'm leaving my post because I have a feeling I would be fired soon anyway because TikTok's going under. But we'll see. Fingers crossed. Um, there is a new uh, issue with this story, a new um, curveball in the story, because the ByteDance chairman basically, um, there's a new rule that's basically preventing certain apps to be sold to the USA without Chinese government approval, and this would require ByteDance to get approval from the Chinese government now. So I don't know if that law is already in effect, or because it's a new law, it's take the, the timeline set for it to officially take effect will be after the USA deadline for purchasing TikTok. But if it's beforehand, then that means that even if Microsoft or Walmart or whatever wants to buy TikTok, they won't be able to unless Chinese government has given permission um, which I don't know if they will. There's a lot of tension between the U.S. and China politically these days that I won't go into here, but there's a lot going on. And so I don't think that will happen. So anyway, all to say that there are so many reasons why I don't think the acquisition will go forward. And so TikTok will no longer be an outlet for artists to promote their work, which is really disappointing. And then the other weird thing is that TikTok is really actually benefiting more from this by selling these hoodies for $70 that say not going anywhere, which is wild to me for three reasons. One is because it's, you know, a shirt that says not going anywhere, so now that just confuses me. Second, um, it's way overpriced. It's honestly an ugly hoodie. Third, um, why? I, what I think they should do is is whatever profits come in for buying this TikTok merch should go to independent artists or something else charitable. I'm just going to throw that out there. So anyway, it's a very weird situation, but that is the latest in how social media is being used to promote or is, is not no longer going to be used to promote content. There are pieces of news in terms of global this globalized cultural era. Kaiko Games is... It's a huge conglomerate thing, and the subsidiary Kaiko Games just went public and is doing so well, so, so well on the stock market already. It set a huge pre-order record um, in terms of deposits made. The stock for Kaiko Games was in such high demand after it went public that some investors didn't even get a share during the pre-order period. There was a huge competition to purchase shares. It's already collected 58.5 trillion won, from 417,000 investors in just a week or two of being publicly traded. Um, it just made a deal also to build this data center south of Seoul. So Keiko is really expanding its reach both physically and in terms of economic impact. Also, KaikoPay recently announced that KaikoPay Securities has just reached 2 million subscribers. So basically, it's going places. They have a new rollout lineup planned in the coming the coming months, years, etc., um, of Kai new Kaiko games. So keep your eyes peeled for new characters, maybe some celebrity endorsed. One other fun fact I found interesting about this is that 
Um, the stock price reached the maximum allow amount allowed in a day within the first five minutes of going public that day on the stock market. So it's really, really, really hot right now, as well as big hit entertainment stock will be when it goes public next month. So big things are coming for South Korea. And that news continues. So there's this global trade show called, I'm just going to call it MCON. It's M-I-P-C-O-M, MIPCON maybe. It, it translates to this long French term. Basically, it's a global trade show. And so the MCON Awards are going to give South Korea a special honor this year. South Korea will be its country of honor for the year, recognized for its its extension of um, cultural influences through TV and movies. So basically, how you culture spread is getting recognized at this global trade show. So everything, a lot of shows have come from South Korea and have really influenced the global culture and movies too. Just the last year or two, we've had Mass Singer and Parasite do so well. And The Good Doctor, which a lot of people don't realize came from South Korea. And actually, The Good Doctor, uh, the USA version on ABC, was the most watched TV drama in the world last year. It had around 50 million viewers globally, I think. So, yeah, huge, huge, huge television impact of South Korean um, ideas. And so, also, this global trade show will provide a lot of networking opportunities virtually for um, artists from around the world who want to link up with South Korean producers, directors, etc. So, this is not the end of the story. We will have many more South Korean films and TV shows hopefully gain the global the global spread and appreciation that they so deserve. South Koreans influence these past few years it goes far beyond being about the music. What is all of this telling me? It's telling me that this is a time where a lot of aspects of the K-pop industry are struggling, but at the same time it's providing new creative opportunities and ways to link up and network and find ways to highlight and shine a light on the ones who weren't getting that attention before. You know, hopefully it leads to this increased desire for fans and for companies to look out for the little guy in a way, as naive as that sounds, just really to highlight and bring attention to the artists who are struggling financially, the venues who need constant support, and just hopefully the music community can continue to find unique ways to you know, the show must go on and have that mentality and to just uplift the artists who still want to spread the word. And I just think this is such an important time to stop and remember that a pandemic is the ultimate example of the fact that we're in such an interconnected world and you can't avoid what a problem in one country is a problem in everywhere in the world. And it's a part, it should be an issue the global community is concerned about, not just a localized community. And so if we all kind of find a way to pull together and fight through the rest of the pandemic, um, that will just hopefully bring out the best in each other. And I know, I know it's so naive, but you know, the inner creativity and innovation that people are capable of can really be unleashed here if we let it. So I really hope that people um, look out for the little guy more and more throughout the next the next few months at the least. And I think South Korea is setting that important example about the importance of just having this um, sense of obligation to one another to wear a mask and to stay safe and not have certain shows. But then they're also they also acknowledge that when you do that, 
you also need to put an extra effort to help those who are hurt by not having those concerts. They have, you know, we need to realize as a global community, our incentive to not have certain shows, but then to financially support those who relied on the shows. In the that being said, I do want to point out we will go back to in-person events someday. I just know we will. There's something irreplaceable about that in-person experience. So just trust me on that. And that is what we're going to talk about after the break is why events like KCON are so popular. Not from just the perspective of marketing and how well they do that. We've already talked about that and why people love K-pop specifically. It's not even about the K-pop, but why the actual physical going to KCON is so important to people. So I'm going to try to look at that through more psychological and sociological lens. So stay tuned for that conversation after the break. If you didn't know what Burning Man is, I'm going to give you the quickest summary of the event as I can. Burning Man is an annual festival held in the Black Rock Desert in Nevada. It's always held in late August, so we just recently passed Burning Man season. And it's a nine-day event in the desert, basically. It's sort of like a mix of camping and Coachella. It's a campout nine-day event that features a lot of art and performances. It's all kind of spontaneous and just grassroots. And so it's not like a festival in the sense that there's a celebrity lineup. It's just people coming together to share their work and you can wander and see each other's work as it's made in real time. And so that's essentially what Burning Man is all about. Now, that sounds like an ultimate immersive experience that relies on a physical experience that you have to be physically there to really appreciate. However, Burning Man is trying to go digital this year, even though that sounds like it runs counter to what Burning Man is all about. But they are seeking to digitize the experience for this year. And they basically are doing that under the phrase, Burning Man is a state of mind. And that expression being... You could just be in your home, but as long as you can mentally get in the zone, you could still go to Burning Man. It's your state of mind. And so the team behind Burning Man is really hoping to get, they're hoping to get 14,000 different creators at least to contribute to this event online for people to look at their art, their performances, and they really want to replicate the ups and downs of a Burning Man experience. Yes, including the downs. So They want to visually find ways to have simulations like going through a really long, boring drive in the desert, uh, having your Wi-Fi service cut off or go in and out and be glitchy, um, having, you know, a tent, feeling like they're camping in a way, maybe setting up a tent in their house has been recommended to them. So here's what TechCrunch said in their interview with one of the main heads of Burning Man. Quote, he wants participants to replicate the experiences by taking steps outside their normal life in the run-up to the event, whether that's sitting through an obscenely long video chat session to simulate a drive to the desert, or setting up a tent in their living room, or cutting off their water line and avoiding showers during the nine days. So they really want to do that. They want to make you feel tired after a long drive, annoyed if the cell service doesn't work, dirty and tired if you if you weren't able to shower. They want to recreate those aspects of the experience as well. So they really want to do this for a couple of reasons. One is because they just want to be able to financially pull off Burning Man in person in future years, and they therefore they can't have a financial loss that's so huge this year. Tickets didn't go on sale this year. The event was canceled before the general public could buy tickets, which would have brought in $475 per person. 
and so that's huge, huge, huge. They did uh, have some tickets uh, sold earlier than the general public ticket sale, but those tickets, um, you could ask for a refund, although they encourage people to spend uh, instead, d redirect their money, at least part of it, towards a donation to Burning Man to allow it to continue. It's not disclosed how many of the early ticket buyers actually donated their refund money to Burning Man. Um, they did get a loan somewhere from ranging between $2 million and $5 million is the estimate. So millions of dollars, they were helped by the federal government, but I'm not sure how sustainable that is for them financially. The event in 2018, for context, cost them $44 million to pull off. They got 2 to $5 million in government aid, and it cost $44 million to pull off in 2018, where they made $43,000 in ticket sales. So thousands and thousands of dollars we're talking about here, if not millions, that need to be recouped somehow. And so to have a digital experience is a lot cheaper, financially helps them hold on to whatever loans they can get. Another reason why I think they are doing this experience again is because they want to go back to the roots of this event. The Really, in the past few years, even before the pandemic, Burning Man was really facing kind of an identity crisis where it basically turned into an event that was all about being the antithesis of a regular festival. It was supposed to embody that, you know, 60s hippie mindset of, um, you know, being in nature and just kind of going against the grain and, you know, like the no life of a nomad for nine days where you could just unleash your creative spirit and see other creative spirits at work. Really, it was all about going off the grid for a while and um, getting away from all of those ills of modern day society. And so that ethos, though, was really faded in recent years for a couple of reasons. The past few years, Silicon Valley types have tried to hijack the event more than ever. So really, a lot of Silicon Valley people have tried to get sponsorships and brand deals out of this. That They've been declined that because that goes against the whole point of Burning Man, but they try. And they've also tried to just kind of modernize the experience with like glamping and stuff. So basically, um, basically Silicon Valley types have been going to this event in record numbers, and those people are not roughing it. So there's this weird cultural clash at play the past few years where, where you know, diehard fans of this event have gone to really be one with nature and to camp and rough it out for nine days. But increasingly, some of the campers they have to reside next to for those nine days are types that just want to don't want to rough it out. And so they, you know, have next level fancy tents or who knows, maybe the super rich ones came in helicopters, you know, or they stay at a nearby hotel and visit during the day. Really things that just run counter to the spirit of Burning Man have infiltrated the event and its root causes and, and goals. And so all of the people trying to cash in on and modernize the event have really rubbed it the wrong way. And so... I think that's part of the reason why they wanted to do this as well. Third thing is because they want to show that it can happen with a wide audience and that a wide audience isn't a bad thing, but that is debatable among the fans of this event. So why am I telling you about Burning Man? What does it have to do with anything? It has to do with the type of economy that also has to do with why KCON is going to come back in person as well as other in-person K-pop shows. Trust me, the connection sounds like it's not there, but it's there. What we need to talk about for you to understand what all this is getting at is the experience economy, which has been increasingly used over time. 
It's a concept that is best summarized with the birthday cake analogy. So basically, the economy started out as step one of four in economic progress, if it was a timeline, where people, the birthday cake analogy goes like this. So people lived, you know, on the farm and they would bake a cake from the ground up, right? So if you're a parent who's throwing your kid a birthday party, you bake that cake with eggs from your chickens or, um, I don't know, milk from your cows or whatever, you know, you use what you have right there, you know, and maybe go into town one day after a long drive uh, in the horse and buggy to go get some some special special limited edition ingredients. I don't know, but you know what I mean. It's very literally homemade. Second phase of the economy in terms of progression of technology and whatnot, you would, if you're making this cake for a kid's party, for example, you would buy the pre-made mix. So you're still basically making a cake, but you're getting like Betty Crocker or something to give you the actual mix to work with. So this was the goods-based phase of the economy. Third phase, phase of the economy was the service one, from goods to services, where third phase is when people would just order the cake from a grocery store or from a bakery. So you'd still throw your kid the party, but you have someone else make the cake for you. Fourth phase is what we're kind of in now, which is called the experience economy, where they they use the term outsource. You outsource the cake and everything. So now you throw your kid a party still, but you don't even throw in the party, really. You outsource it and outsource the cake. So everything is not homemade. Everything is like Chuck E. Cheese does it for you or um, the Discovery Zone or Rainforest Cafe. You know, you have an actual company doing it for you. So basically this transition in the economy has turned into an experience economy where you go somewhere not for what it actually has, but for what the overall atmosphere brings you. So for example, and a good it's important to distinguish here between services and experiences. So let's say you are you're taking a Lyft or an Uber and you know, it's essentially a taxi service, but you really don't pick that ta- that taxi service just for the taxi service. That would be the service, but it's not really, your review of the experience when you write a review about it is not about, yeah, it, it was great because it got me from A to B. You write about the experience, which is different from the service itself, if that makes sense. It was, your review of the event is not about the actual physically transporting you from one place to another. Those are givens now. The experience is what you need to reach as, um, to get customer satisfaction these days, which is about, you know, maybe your, your driver was too chatty or not chatty enough. Maybe they let you play music. Maybe they had terrible taste in music. Maybe the, the place was a mess or the car was great and clean, whatever it is, that is the experience. So that's just one of many other examples. There are things like Airbnb and other aspects of this new sharing economy we have. We're basically, for example, with the with Chuck E. Cheese, you're not really. It's when you review the experience, you're not reviewing the pizza, really. I mean, pro- probably not. You're not reviewing the mechanical mouth. You are really reviewing the experience, not those services. The services were the food and the games. Your experience was really the atmosphere 
maybe the pricing goes into that, your engagement, the amount of enthusiasm the staff showed towards your kid, the the amount of order that they kept maintained despite all the kids running around playing games, whatever it is. So really, experiences are where the economy has gone, and so expectations of customers have changed as a result of all of that. So even to an extreme at times, there is actually a place in Israel called Cafe Make Believe. That's essentially the rough English translation. And this cafe basically is where you buy your access in and you just sit there. Like, you pay $3 on a weekday or $6 on a weekend to go and sit there and you get a cup and a plate still, but there's nothing in them. So you get the exact experience you would get at a restaurant or a cafe, but without the actual food or drink available. So it's called Cafe Make Believe, and that's what it is. It's a state of mind where you go there and you act like you're enjoying the cafe. And the argument really is that um, people will pay for that because it is about the experience. I mean, it's a very interesting time to think about this now because think about how people have really, really been missing working in a Starbucks coffee place or another coffee shop to write a screenplay or whatever, or people miss visiting an indie bookstore, or people miss this or that, whatever they miss, they don't necessarily, really, it's not about missing the food or missing the missing the actual physical goods they had or bought there. It's about the people. It's about those relationships. It's about those conversations. It's about the whole atmosphere. That really goes to show that we did shift over time to that experience-oriented economy. And so, really, there are a lot of other ways that um, economists and um overall sociologists and scholars have tried to analyze the concept of uh, consumer consumer experiences and whatnot, and consumer satisfaction. But um, what it really boils down to is um, the concept of the four realms of an experience and what they consider the richest experiences for customers meet criteria from all four realms of the experience. So we won't get too much more into that, but basically um, the most memorable and positively reflected on experiences for customers tap into those different realms of experience. They are very all-encompassing then. So that's what it's all about. It's about good service mixed with a great atmosphere, mixed with great conversation. It's a lot thrown together, but it all has to work together in a certain order. I mean, there's a lot of uh, psychology behind it we won't get into, but all to say that she would be willing to go to KCON if it happened this is, it's not like this is actually happening, it's just hypothetical, but if KCON one year decided that it was going to be just a place, but with no scheduled events, so fans could gather, but no stars would show up that year, you would still probably want to go, right? At least want to. Maybe you wouldn't decide it was worth the price, but you would probably consider going. I know I would, so I could talk to other fans, we could trade photo cards, we could, you know, do, play the point dance games or do fan chants. We could have a freaking block party together. That's what it's all about. Experiences like a K-pop concerts in KCON, it's not even so much the actual performance itself, it's the atmosphere. It's all about the experience. And if you have a bad experience, that really colors the whole thing in a way that's not vice versa. And so that's why I think events like Burning Man and, and Coachella, really, and Lollapalooza, all these festivals, plus KCON, K-pop concerts, all these in-person gatherings of music fans have to come back. They just will. I just think psychologically and emotionally, 
humans need that, and that's what fulfills us. It just can't fulfill us the same way anymore um, to do things in a disconnected nature like online because we're now in this in this fourth phase of economic progression in history where we want the experience, and the experience has now become more and more important to be all-encompassing. And so we don't have that right now, and we will go back to it. I just know it. So keep the faith. You know, that's just what we need, really. And that's uh, so what is the next phase of the economy, though, if the the experience economy is up in the air at this point because of the coronavirus? That remains to be seen what happens, but I just think we will go back to some version of the experience economy in the future. So that's basically my main point, is that I think that KCOM will be back, fingers crossed, 2021, um, but we'll see, 2022 at the latest. Um, but besides that... I just think these people will people will go back and that's what the German experiment that I was talking about earlier in the show was was getting at too is that people were willing to put themselves at risk of spreading the virus um not that I'm encouraging you to do that but that just kind of goes to show you that it wasn't even really about the performance as much as missing concerts missing that feeling and wanting to be around other people who miss that feeling and I just think this is very interesting, um, unprecedented realm of possibility here for, for really what, what artists decide to do and how they tap into the interest. It will be very interesting over the next few months to see how these digital concerts continue to unfold and how fans react, but also how they think about future shows, because I really hope that these companies don't realize, wow, these shows have been so profitable and successful for us. Maybe we'll never go back to in-person events. I just think that would be a very flawed choice economically and personally for my liking um, because of that element of it. But that being said, how we define the experiments economy can be, can may entirely change um, be, due to this more and more immersive world of technology that is being used for concerts. So can we have an experience economy lived out digitally if the technology gets advanced to a point where you feel like it's virtual reality and you're immersed in it? That is a new question. That I don't know. And that may lead us to phase five in the economic progression, which is uh, both an experience economy and a virtual experience economy. So very exciting, surprising, unexpected, Un unpredictable, unprecedented realm of possibility here. So just something to keep in mind about the way things are and the way they may change. But ultimately, at its core, I think that the spirit of fandoms requires in-person aspects to come back. It just does. So keep the faith, and I do think that will happen. So those have just been some of my latest observations. Um, before I go for the day, I do want to let you know about a, a bookstore, a black-owned bookstore in New Orleans that is a really great business to support, and they recently passed one fundraising goal, but they can never need, uh, you know, they can never uh, have too many donations, both either money or you can donate books directly to this bookstore. It's called the Community Book Center in New Orleans, and it, you can go to readcbc.com for more information. They would love donations, especially because they had a break-in and a robbery or Earlier this year, so if you want to help them out to uh, recoup from that, I would really appreciate that. They are a great cause, as well as other black-owned businesses that have been either 
um, robbed this year or just in general financially strained due to the virus and or other reasons, just please uh, dedicate some time and attention to seeking out those stores as opposed to just getting a book from like Amazon. So that is my recommendation of the day for you. And I hope this episode was informative and thought-provoking and we will continue this conversation as developments unfold in the world of technology and really how the economy is shifting to meet the moment, the wild, unprecedented moment. So uh, have a good day, everyone, and I will see you next time.